Welcome back, everybody. Yes, that's not Noah. It's Dominic. Um, Noah's not with me today. I'm, I'm going on a solo mission for our UFC 253 recap. Um, but don't worry, he will return um, in this upcoming uh, special episode on Wednesday. And of course, our uh, UFC Fight Island um, preview show for Holly Holm and Irene Al Aldana on Friday. But for today, you got to bear with me. So sit back, relax, and let's get into the UFC 253 recap. So just a quick overview uh, before we get into some news. Um, Zubaira Tugahov, this is where I need Noah because he's better at pronouncing names, uh, versus Hakeem Dawadu at featherweight, uh, men's featherweight. Um, Hakeem gets a win via split decision. Then we have Caitlin Vieira versus Sijara Eubanks, excuse me, and women's bantamweight, which is uh, women's 135. And Ketlin got the unanimous decision victory there. Next, we move on to some men's flyweight action as we had Kai Kira France take on Brandon Roy Val. And wow, that was a wild two round fight. And Roy Val ended up getting the guillotine finish. In the second round, uh, 48 seconds into the second round, as a matter of fact. Then, on to our two title fights. We had Dominic Reyes versus Jan Blahovich for the vacant light heavyweight championship of the world. And Jan looked incredible, to say the least, and got the TKO finish 4 minutes and 36 seconds into round 2. And lastly, the main event that we've all been waiting for, Israel Adesanya versus Paulo Costa. One of those O's has got to go. And, well, Paulo Costa, you tried. But Izzy is the king of the middleweight division. And still, Israel Adesanya gets a TKO stoppage over Paulo Costa. Three minutes and 59 seconds into round number two. But, before we get into the breakdown and what I think is next for these fighters... It's time for everybody's favorite segment of the podcast, and that is the news. And there's not too much to go over. Not a lot came out uh, over the weekend, so this will be a short and sweet little news segment here. Um, I will start off by talking about our man, Bobby King Green. Um, as you guys know, we have mentioned him a few times on this podcast, a couple different breakdowns. He is on a three-fight win streak. 3 and 0 in 2020 all three coming at the UFC Apex in Las Vegas. And we have kind of been trying to predict what we think is next for him. Um, me and Noah both predicted or at least think he was worthy of a um, ranked fighter at the lightweight division, a top 15 guy. And it looks like he's not going to be getting a ranked guy, but he is going to be taking on Tiago Moises, a guy that we have also uh, had a fight breakdown for on the podcast previously. This is a challenge for Bobby Green, but I think a bigger challenge for Tiago just because how good Bobby King Green has looked in these last three fights. Uh, he really is having a career resurgence right now, to say the least. And I definitely think that if he were to get this win and make it four in a row, uh, four and zero oh in the year 2020, you cannot deny this man a top 15 fighter at that point. Um, and it looks like this is agreed for October 31st, which is the uh, very first event back at the UFC Apex in Vegas, following the Habib and Justin Gaethje pay-per-view on October 24th. And I believe, if I'm not mistaken, the main event 
that October 31st fight night is Anderson Silva and Uriah Hall. Um, so I'd imagine Bobby Green probably gets a main card slot here for this fight night, depending on what else they try to uh, put on that fight night card. So that's definitely a good fight to watch out for. Um, again, if Bobby Green can get that win over Tiago Moises, another very tough opponent, it's hard to deny him a top 15 fighter at that point. And it, for Moises, if he were to be able to stop Bobby Green, that's a, definitely the biggest name on his resume. And um, I don't want to say a top 15 for Moises, but you never know. If he goes out there and gets a decisive victory or a finish over Bobby Green, then maybe he gets 15 or 14. But um, that's definitely a good fight, and we had to mention our boy Bobby King Green. Uh, next up in the news, at the post-fight press conference for UFC 253, um, Dana White always uh, comes on first, gives an overview of the event, all the numbers, all the all the, uh, the finite details of the show. And of course, he was asked the question about what he thinks is next for Jorge Masvidal. Now, um, I think it was two weeks ago at this point, it was rumored that they were doing the BMF title rematch between Jorge Masvidal and Nate Diaz, and they were looking to book that in January of 2021. But as of last night, or I guess Saturday night, you guys are going to, of course, hear this on Monday, Dana White has said that the fight that makes the most sense is to be Jorge Masvidal versus Colby Chaos Covington. And I couldn't agree more. I think this is a fight that has to happen. It's another fight with bad blood. You know, another storyline of, you know, the ex-teammates, the ex, um, you know, really good friends that train down there in American Top Team, no longer like each other. Um, this is a very good fight, a fight that's important for the division. Colby, of course, just now, after his dominant win over Tyron Woodley last week, uh, moved back to the number one contender spot in the welterweight division. He jumped over Gilbert Burns, which I thought was... A little strange, but uh, nevertheless, Burns is still getting the next title shot. So we've got number one, Colby Covington, looking to fight number four ranked Jorge Masvidal. Of course, you all know that Jorge is coming off that um, loss to Kamaru Usman, which happened at Fight Island, I believe, UFC 251. Um, so it would be a bounce back for Jorge. And truthfully, if he were to be able to go in there and stop a guy like Colby, who has looked absolutely dominant in basically every fight outside of his fight with Usman, and even in Colby's fight with Kamaru Usman, a lot of people think he was up 3-1 going into that fifth round before uh, Usman ultimately got the stoppage. So Colby, you know, love him or hate him, you can't deny how great he is as a fighter. And I think stylistically, this is a hard matchup for Jorge, but I will say... Um, for six days' notice, when Jorge fought Usman, he really didn't look bad. Um, I know it was a very dominant, convincing performance for Usman, um, and I can't take that away from him, but Jorge did present a threat on the feet, and I thought it was very clear that Usman wanted no part in that. So if Jorge can present the same issues to Colby, and of course this would be also with a training camp, not just on six days' notice, he really could get this win. Um, and honestly, this is a number one contender fight, in my opinion, because Jorge, again, took that fight against Usman on six days' notice. So if he were to be able to bounce back and beat the number one ranked guy in the division, it'd be kind of hard to deny that rematch with Usman. 
And again, if Burns and Usman are scheduled to fight as well, so even Burns could beat Usman, you just never know. This welterweight division really is on fire right now. The only issue with Colby versus Jorge is that still leaves my man Leon Edwards kind of out to dry. The number three ranked guy, eight fight win streak, hasn't lost in over four years if I'm not mistaken. It looks like they're wanting to schedule him with Steven Thompson. Um, so we'll kind of just wait and see. There's been no official news on that. Um, but leading, or based off of that, I guess, with Stephen Thompson, as I just mentioned, Dana did mention in the press conference as well that they have offered number five ranked welterweight Stephen Wonderboy Thompson a fight with the rising up-and-coming prospect who has dominated everyone in his path, Hamzat Chemaev. Um, if you don't know, he just had the 17-second one-punch KO over Gerald Mearchart last week and has looked nothing short of miraculous so far through his three fights in the UFC. So much hype around this guy right now. Um, I think offering him a top five is a little bit too soon. Um, I'm not saying that he's not capable to perform with the best of the best because I, I think he is. But in terms of the this, um, the division as a whole, I believe that he should fight, I even mentioned this, I think like a number 10, which right now in the welterweight division, there's two people tied for number 10. It's uh, Vicente Luque and Neil Magny. And Neil Magny has been calling for the fight with Hamzat as of the past few days. So I think that makes more sense, giving him a top 10, you know, or basically essentially the number 10 guy in that division first. And then if he gets through that test, you could by all means justify him fighting a top five fighter, especially if he were to go out and dominate like he has been. Then I'm all for him fighting anyone in that top five. Um, but for now, I think with Gilbert scheduled to fight Usman and say we get Colby versus Jorge, I really like Leon just going ahead to fight Steven Thompson. Um, it would be the biggest name on his resume. And if he can get a convincing win... Then, you know, you're kind of just in this weird position where who should get the next title shot and blah, blah, blah. Um, and then you have Chemayev obviously wanting to crack in there as quickly as possible. And, of course, Chemayev wants to fight at middleweight as well. So that's kind of the whole 170-pound debacle going on as of this weekend. A lot of moving pieces. Um, nothing confirmed yet. These are all rumored and fights that they're attempting to work on. But had to mention it because that division really is on fire uh, right now. So really, that's about it from the news. Um, I will just briefly mention Conor McGregor did make some headlines again this weekend. Uh, he released some DMs between him and Dana White from back in February following his TKO victory over Donald Cowboy Cerrone. Basically just going into detail about how Conor's been asking for all these fights and how, you know, in February he wanted to fight three more times and we all know he wanted to have a season, quote-unquote, in 2020. Obviously, with COVID happening, that did hinder his plans, of course, but it looks like the UFC has kind of just been holding back more so so they could have a crowd when Connor fights again, which I completely understand. Um, but at the same time, it really did look like Connor wanted to fight regardless, so I guess I'll tip my hat off to uh, Connor for that at least. However, some of the fights he was wanting are a little odd. Um, he did want to fight Gaethje, I believe, was one of the options, which, of course, that fight makes all the sense in the world. 
But another fight that he called for was against 38-year-old Diego Nightmare Sanchez. Yeah, um, no thanks. I'm definitely not interested in that fight at all. Um, of course, Diego also just fought on uh, the 253 prelims. Um, and he basically got dominated by Jake Matthews. He's 38 years old now. He's a welterweight. Um, Connor, of course, is number five ranked lightweight. It's really just a fight that makes absolutely zero sense. Um, Connor did say he just has a lot of respect for Diego and how he's been a pioneer for the sport, which I completely understand and I get that. Um, but wanting to fight Diego really isn't the move, and I don't think that we ever really see that fight in the UFC at least. Um, Especially after Diego just lost again. It's just hard to really justify that fight happening. But Connor um, released DMs. Of course, these are private DMs. Uh, so let's just say Dana White wasn't the happiest when they brought this up at the press conference Saturday night. Um, he kind of just said, you know, you broke the bro code kind of thing. Um, just some drama, which is not unnormal, I guess, between Connor and the UFC. Um, we all know Connor's been in his fair share of drama with the UFC, but at the end of the day, this is the biggest draw they've ever had. And Dana said, you know, we're going to try and work with you. We're going to try and get these fights. Again, this was all pre-COVID, so things changed rapidly, and we're kind of just sitting here now. At the end of September, Connor obviously has not fought since January, and really there's no clear cut avenue or path for him in my opinion right now um, if he even fights again in the UFC I don't think it'll be until at least uh, late in the first quarter of 2021 at the earliest in my opinion and if Connor of course did say um, so we're you know forget about all this I'm gonna box Manny Pacquiao next in the Middle East uh, that's basically how he ended his Twitter rant the other night and that's kind of been rumored for a while he even mentioned it back in January I'm not big on the whole boxing world in general. Um, I'm not big on UFC stars wanting to, you know, go over and vice versa. I just kind of wish most of them just stayed in their lanes. Um, again, a lot of them have talent, and I'm not saying they can't box. Connor, of course, went 10 rounds with the best boxer, arguably, of all time. But it's just kind of drawn out at this point. Like, do we really need to see it again? Yada, yada, yada. Again, it's all rumored at this point. Nothing confirmed. But what's a you know UFC podcast without mentioning mentioning Conor McGregor at least once uh, every so often? So that's the new segment, and now it's time to get into the UFC 253 recap and results. So again, the first fight of the night was men's featherweight. Of course, this is the main card only. So the first fight of the main card, I should say, uh, Zubaira. Tugahov, I think that's how you say it. Noah, you'll probably correct me when I see you next in the studio. Um, he took on Hakeem Dawadu. And it was a pretty amazing fight to watch throughout the first two rounds. Uh, very back and forth. Amazing footwork. Amazing head movement. Very quick striking. Uh, it was a great first two rounds. I had it one-to-one -one, uh, going into round three. And this is kind of where it got a little stale. Um... They got into basically a, a shouting match against one another in the third round. Uh, Hakeem was, you know, yelling at Zubaira, saying, you know, what are you doing? Come on, fight me. He was, you know, uh, telling him that you're running away from me. What are you doing? And uh, Hakeem outlanded him, I think, in round three, like 15 to five. 
So based off the first two rounds, this was not what I expected to happen in the third. But all in all, Hakeem did get the split decision victory. Both guys are extremely talented. Um, Hakeem's now on a five-fight win streak, which is, I think, the longest in the featherweight division right now outside of maybe, like, I know, obviously, Volkanovski and I want to say maybe one or two other people, but he's right up there. And I, I said this on the preview show, the winner of this fight deserves top 15, and I still stick by that regardless. Um, so for Hakeem, specifically... I really like the number 15 ranked Bryce Mitchell. I, I think that would be quite the fight. Hakeem is a very powerful technical striker on the feet. Bryce Mitchell, who we've mentioned in the podcast, is an insanely talented grappler and submission specialist. This is very opposite fighting styles, and when you mesh those together, you can really have some incredible fights. So I would boom right into the top 15 with the number 15 ranked guy. Uh, for Hakeem and honestly if Zubaira would have won this fight I'd probably match make the same way I really like Bryce Mitchell now if I'm Bryce do I want to fight a guy that's not ranked I mean probably not but at the same time both of these guys have relatively big names Zubaira who lost this fight he had Habib Nurmagomedov excuse me in his corner Um, so he trains with the best of the best over there in Dagestan and, again, either one of these guys deserve top 15. Of course, Hakeem gets the win, and I really love the matchup between Bryce Mitchell. Now, I don't remember if Bryce has another fight booked. Part of me thinks he has one booked for maybe late November or early December. Um, I'm not 100% sure. So if he does have a fight booked already, I apologize. But off the top of my head, I really like Hakeem versus Bryce Mitchell there. If you're Zubaira... Uh, One more fight, of course, coming off a loss, so not a ranked fighter yet. But I believe if he gets a convincing win next, he can still justify fighting top 15. Uh, But just one more win, and I think he's there. So on to the second fight of the night. We had Caitlin Vieira versus Sajar Eubanks. This was women's bantamweight division. This was honestly a pretty good fight for the most part. It went how I expected, and... Also, how I didn't expect it at the same time. So both of these women are very talented grapplers. I, of course, predicted Caitlin to win via second-round submission. Sajara also is a black belt in Brazilian jiu-jitsu. So they were very uh, well-matched in terms of grappling. But for the most part, they stood and banged it out for most of the fight. Um, The first round was very close. So close that I can't really tell you who I had win in the round. The second round, however, Ketlin really controlled it. Um, A lot of control time on the ground. You know, got the best of the grappling transitions and reversals, so on and so forth. And when it got back to the feet um, in the last minute or two of round two, she also got the better of the striking. Um, So that was a very convincing round for uh, Ketlin, in my opinion. And then in round three, it was basically just a war. All-out slugfest. They were going for the finish. Very, very good striking. Very hard punches. Um, And overall, Ketlin did get the unanimous decision victory. I believe all three scored at 29-28. So, yeah, this was actually a great fight. Ketlin surprised me at how large she is for this division. She's very long and lanky and also built and muscular. 
She looks as if she could almost potentially fight at featherweight. But again, this is probably the best weight class for her in terms of, you know, being able to cut that weight down but still be at your strongest when you put the weight back on, um, you know, the night before you fight. And Sijara, of course, used to fight at flyweight, had trouble making that weight cut, and now she's fighting at bantamweight. Again, Sijara is very muscular, very well built, so I think they're both in their right weight class. Sajara is going to be outmatched height-wise with some girls, but not all of them. And in terms of matchmaking, so we've got Irene Aldana taking on Holly Holm uh, this upcoming weekend, which we'll preview on Friday. And then also they announced the UFC 254 uh, main card la- or on Saturday night. And we've got Jermaine Durandamine, who's number one at women's bantamweight, taking on number four-ranked Juliana Pena. So, with Ketlin, who is ranked number seven at bantamweight, I really like her fighting the loser of Jermaine versus Juliana Pena. Um, I think that's a fight that makes sense. Again, if she's ranked seventh, she would be fighting a number one or number four ranked, depending on who would lose that fight. Um, I don't say the winner, because truthfully, I feel that if Juliana can win that fight, she might hop in for a title, just because she hasn't really challenged for one at bantamweight, I don't think ever. And she's right up there. She's 10-3, and three, very talented. And of course, Holly Holm and Irene Aldana is essentially a number one contender fight, especially for Irene. I'd say if Irene goes out there this weekend and stops Holly Holm or just has a dominant decision, she probably gets the next title fight against Amanda Nunes. So, and I don't want to see her fight, um, or I don't want to see Ketlin fight Irene Aldana again because she just recently lost to her via KO. Um, so it's not time for that rematch just yet, um, but it's definitely a rematch that I could see happening in the future. Very, very talented women in this bantamweight division right now. But yeah, that's what I think should be next for Ketlin, the loser of the number four versus number one, uh, Juliana Pena versus Jermaine Durandamine. Potentially matching her up with number three-ranked Aspen Ladd is another really good fight, in my opinion. Um, Aspen is a very, very good prospect in this bantamweight division for the women right now. I'm trying to pull up her most recent fights here. I know she had a loss recently. Yeah, so Aspen is coming off the KOTKO of Yana Kunitskaya last December. Um, But before that, she got KOTKO'd by Jermaine Duranamine. And before she lost that fight, she had just beaten Sijara Eubanks. So actually, now that I'm looking at this, and Aspen, as far as I know, does not have a fight booked, I actually really like this number seven, Caitlin Vieira, taking on number three ranked Aspen Ladd. Um, I'm kind of putting that at my number one option now, now that I look at the uh, breakdown here. So those are the two fights that I think should be next for Ketlin. Um, either one makes sense, but I really like a matchup between her and Aspen Ladd the more and more I think about that. For Sijara, who is ranked 13th, I think she still is looked good enough Saturday night to stay in the rankings Um, Of course, she jumped up and made a huge jump to fight number seven. So I'm not saying she's going to lose her ranking because of her loss. I'm saying she should still fight a ranked opponent in this weight class. There's really a lot of options right here in this 15 through 10. Now, given she made a big jump and fought number seven, she honestly could still fight, you know, a number eight, nine, ten, so on and so forth. So I actually like her taking on number nine ranked Sarah McMahon. 
Now, I say this because at the press conference of 253, they asked Dana, you know, Sarah McMahon has had two fights fall out recently. Are you looking to book her with a fight? And yes, this is the one right here. So Sarah McMahon has been in the UFC for a long time. She's coming off a win against Lena Landsberg, who is ranked number 12 in the women's bantamweight division. And before that, she lost to uh, Maru Renau. I think that's how you say her name. And she is also ranked number 10. And then before that fight, uh, Sarah um, lost to Ketlin Vieira, which I mentioned on the preview show by submission. So really, this is a fight that makes the most sense because they both lost to Sijara. Um, Sarah McMahon lost, or I'm sorry, they both have lost to Ketlin Vieira. Sarah McMahon lost to her in September of 2017, and then, of course, Sajara just lost on Saturday. So, um, so Sajara is ranked 13th. She'd be taking on a number 9 ranked Sarah McMahon after losing to number 7. That makes sense to me. That's the fight I would like to see. Um, both very good wrestlers. Of course, I've already mentioned that for Sajara, but Sarah McMahon um, has power in her hands as well, but a very good grappler. I think that's a very good matchup stylistically. And again, with Sarah McMahon having two fights fall out recently, we know Sijara Eubanks is down to fight. She literally just fought on September 12th, and two weeks later was at Fight Island fighting on the main card of one of the biggest pay-per-views of the year. So I think if I'm the UFC, I book uh, Sijara with number nine, Sarah McMahon, and I think they could even get that in in maybe December, at um, an end-of-the-year fight night or pay-per-view. So that's kind of my matchmaking for those two women. Again, that was a great fight, underrated in my opinion. And uh, yeah, so now moving on to the third fight of the night, we had some men's flyweight action, and boy, oh boy, did these guys deliver. All I put on my notepad for the first round, in all caps, I literally wrote crazy first round, and I don't know how else you could put it. Kai Car France comes out, and drops Brandon Royval uh, very early on in the fight. Royval gets up, kind of gets his wits back about him. Then he gets hurt again by Kai, but this time, even though he was hurt, he lands a spinning back elbow, and they literally had a double knockdown. They both were on their asses at one point. It was very, very exciting fight. Um, Brandon did take control and finish out the first round pretty strong, so I had him up 1-0 going into the second. And then he did not mess around in the second round. Uh, Brandon came out, jumped to a standing guillotine, locked it in, and immediately pulled uh, Kai Car France down to full guard. <clears throat> and from there, he finished the fight in 48 seconds of round number two. This was a very, very fun fight. Brandon Roy Val is now 2-0 in the UFC with wins over former title challenger Tim Elliott who is now ranked 13th, and now he just beat Kai Car France, who's ranked number 7 at flyweight via finish. Both fights fin- or both fights were finishes for Roy Val. Both of them got performance of the night, 50 Gs, baby, as Noah would say. So, in terms of matchmaking, both these guys are studs, first of all. But for Roy Val, I'm all for him getting top 5 after this. Um, He will essentially move up to at least number seven, I'd imagine, and flip-flop places with Kai. So in terms of matchmaking, honestly, I'm kind of on the hype train here. Um, I think he deserves 
upwards of number four Alex Perez or even a number three ranked undefeated Askar Askarov. Um, I really think highly of this kid. Again, if you come into the UFC and after two fights, you've beaten two ranked fighters, one of them being a former title challenger, tough as nails, you easily deserve a top five in my opinion. Both very convincing and exciting fights to start out, and of course he finishes both fights. Uh, for number four ranked Alex Perez, <clears throat> he's on at a three-fight win streak with wins over Juicier Formega, who's ranked sixth, Jordan Espinoza, and Mark De La Rosa. All three of those guys are ranked, and he has finished two of the three. And of course he's ranked fourth. And then for Askar Askarov, he is undefeated 12-0, and with his most recent wins over Alexandre Pantoja, and before that, he also beat Tim Elliott, and both of those were by decision, <clears throat> and he also had a split decision over Brandon Moreno. So, either one for me, um, I kind of lean more toward Alex Perez, just because I really want to see Askar Askarov and Brandon Moreno run it back, just because they had a split decision, but truthfully... Either one of those, so Brandon Moreno or Ascar, both deserve a title shot. Um, but as we know, Davis and Figueiredo is fighting Cody Garbrandt for that flyweight belt in November. So we'll kind of wait and see what happens with those two. Um, so really, if, if Brandon wants to get in there quick and get right back into it, I'd match him up with number four ranked Alex Perez, a guy who hasn't fought in a little while. <clears throat> and I think they could even run that in December potentially. Um, I know that I said the first round of this Kai Car France fight was, you know, crazy, and he got dropped and you know hurt a little bit. I still think he could bounce back and fight again uh, in December, potentially early 2021 at the latest. For Kai, who's ranked seventh, of course he'll move down to at least eight or nine after the loss on Saturday. I still think he's right up there and deserves a top ten guy. Um, I really like a fight with Juicier for Omega, to be honest with you. And it makes sense, and I say this because Juicier for Omega is actually on a three-fight skid right now. Um, like I said, he just lost to Alex Perez in June. Then he, before that, he lost to Brandon Moreno, who's ranked second in the division. And before that, lost to Joey Benavidez, who is the staple outside of uh, Mighty Mouse for this flyweight division. The number one ranked guy. So he's on a three-fight skid right now, but all against top-tier competition. So I think for him, it makes sense to fight a guy ranked lower than him at this point. And that's why I believe a number six-ranked uh, Formiga versus what I assume will be a number eight or nine-ranked Kai Car of France makes the most sense, and I think that's still an amazing flyweight fight. This is a division that gets slept on a lot in the UFC. It gets some hate. You know, they're not exciting, so on and so forth. I don't agree with that. Um, it's just, it's harder because everybody likes watching the bigger guys, right? And these guys are 125 pounds, you know, five foot three, five foot four, but they always have exciting fights and they're so fast and technical, whether they're on the ground or on the feet. And I think they really deserve more respect. With um, the champion, Davidson Figueiredo, he has a lot of hype around him right now, which is what this division needed. And with Cody dropping down in weight, which I'm still not the biggest fan of, but we'll talk about that more in November, it still brings excitement to this division at a time where they need it the most. You know, with Demetrius, of course, being at one championship now, Henry Cejudo in retirement, it really was looking 
not good. I'll just say it that way for the men's flyweight division of the UFC. But now with this new Brazilian champion, a lot of hype around him, only one loss, a powerhouse that has so much potential. Um, this this is a very good time for this division, and I think they need to keep making very good stylistic matchups in this top 15 especially. Now we're on to the title fights. Ladies and gentlemen, hold on. My throat's getting a little dry because Noah's not here to, you know, converse with me so I can take some drinks. So one second here. <clears throat> so, the co-main of the evening, Dominic Reyes, Jan Blachowicz, the vacant light heavyweight championship of the world. The winner of this fight would become the first light heavyweight champion not named John Jones or Daniel Cormier in nearly 10 years. And ladies and gentlemen, let me just say that Polish power is a real thing. Jan Blachowicz looked amazing in this fight against Dominic Reyes. Round one, as I truthfully anticipated, it was a feeling out round. Both guys are very technical. Of course, Jan has the power advantage, and I will, of course, talk about that in just a second. But they felt each other out a lot in round one, but Jan still got the better of the exchanges. And he was landing brutal body kicks. The left body kick was open for business in round one for Jan Blachowicz. I believe he landed three or four uh, early on to Dominic Reyes' right side, and it looked like Dominic Reyes had just gotten a brand burned into his skin. I have never seen someone's side look so brutalized after just a few body kicks. It was crazy, and they definitely took a toll and played a factor um, throughout the remainder of this fight, which was not very long. So Jan took round one. Um, Dominic didn't look bad by any means in round one. He did have his fair share of decent shots, um, but again, it was more so a feeling out round, so there wasn't too much going on. Now, round two... Jan really started to take over here, especially at the latter half of the round, uh, the halfway point and on. It was very back and forth, still filling each other out, both landing, you know, decent shots, but Jan getting the better of the exchanges. He definitely became the aggressor, um, was pushing him, uh, pushing Reyes back toward the cage, and Jan looked good, man. He really surprised me, <clears throat> and he was my fighter of the night last night. Um... And for this very reason, he dropped Dominic with this brutal left hook, just like he did with um, Luke Rockhold. And my, oh my, he had Dominic Reyes doing the chicken dance in the middle of the octagon. He was on spaghetti legs, eventually drops down, and Jan just goes in for the TKO finish. Three or four shots, and that was it. The ref waved it off. Some people were actually calling it a bad stoppage, and I was very surprised by that. I mean, yeah, Reyes had his hands up and all, but he was gone. Like, even after the ref pulled Jan off, Reyes was, he was noticeably hurt. Like, he was not there. So, really, all the ref did was keep him from taking, you know, three or four more extra shots that were not necessary. So, I think it was a good stoppage all in all. I see where people could argue it, but it's still just, meh. I, I'm, I'm okay with it. And man, I mean, congratulations to Jan Blachowicz, the first ever men's um, champion to reign from Poland. 
and he now joins Joanna Jacek as the two champions to ever hold a UFC title. Of course, Joanna won her women's strawweight belt back in 2015 and went on to defend that six times before losing it. And now, not only do they have their queen, they have their king. Bow down, ladies and gentlemen. The Polish power. Now, what's next, you may ask? Well, it's pretty clear-cut, in my opinion. And there's there's one option for each of these guys, and that's all I'm going to say. And then I'm moving into the main event. Option number one, or the option for the winner, the new light heavyweight champion, Jan Blachowicz, He's going to fight the winner of Tiago Santos and Glover Teixeira. Uh, number two versus number four. A fight that's been canceled twice due to positive COVID taste cases on both sides. We're getting it, I believe, November 7th, if I believe. It's supposed to be a main event on a fight night card. So hopefully that can stay together. And first off, that's a great fight. Santos is making his return after having a, a very bad knee injury in his championship fight with John Jones. And, of course, Glover's on a tear right now, kind of having a career resurgence of his own. You know, shout out Bobby Green. This man, Glover, is doing the same thing at the age of 40, by the way. He's on a four-fight win streak, the last three being a KO TKO over Anthony Smith. Before that, a split decision over Nikita Krylov. And before that, he submitted uh, Ian Kutaleba, who is an extremely dangerous fighter. So... This is it. I mean, Jan is the champ, and this Tiago versus Glover is clearly the number one contender fight. So the winner of that should fight Jan. Uh, well, I, I guess that would be, let's see, they're fighting in November, maybe like a March-April of 2021, depending on how long the fight goes between Tiago and Glover. Maybe sooner if it's a quick knockout or something, which is very possible. And then for Dominic... He fights the loser. Um, it's really that simple. I think it's that easy to matchmake, in my opinion. The only other option, if it's not the loser of Santos and Glover, maybe give him Alexander Rakic. Um, I could see that being uh, into play, potentially. But I really like him fighting the loser of Santos-Glover. Um, he hasn't fought either one of those guys. And The idea of having a matchup between Dominic Reyes and Thiago Santos is incredibly enticing to me. Reason number one being that I felt both of them beat John Jones. Um, so I think that's an incredible fight. However, I'm leaning more toward Tiago winning that fight against Glover. So even if Dominic takes on number four ranked Glover Teixeira, that's still a great fight. And with Glover being 40, maybe he just retires if he loses a Tiago. Again, that's all up in the air right now. We'll find that out on November 7th. But in terms of matchmaking, I definitely feel that's the way to go for both of those guys. So again, Jan Blahovic, the new light heavyweight champion, the first time in nearly a decade that it's not been someone named John Jones or Daniel Cormier, and boy, oh boy, he really proved it and put on a show last night. And that leads me in to the main event of the evening. Ladies and gentlemen, Israel Adesanya and still he looked untouchable he looked like anderson silva looked in his prime when he was on his tear i and and for me to say that <clears throat> that takes a lot because as you all know my goat 
is Anderson Silva, the greatest of all time in the UFC, in my opinion. Again, it's it's all opinion-based, but Anderson Silva was something special. And last night, Israel Adesanya looked like primetime Anderson Silva. So, round number one, uh, Israel controlled it, absolutely controlled it. It really wasn't even close. Like, you can't even argue that Paulo took the round. Um, he brutalized Paulo Costa's lead leg, his left leg, uh, with oblique kicks, inside leg kicks, and outside leg kicks, he tore Paulo's lead leg up. Um, so he had a very convincing round one. It was a feeling out round, I will say. Um, but Israel was definitely, I don't want to say the aggressor, but really Paulo did not do what anyone expected him to. So Israel kind of was controlling the fight and doing whatever he wanted to do. And then in the second round, it was honestly more the same. Uh, Israel was chipping away at the lead leg kick, had a very, very nice um, head kick that actually cut uh, Apollo above his right eyebrow. And that was kind of the turning point. Um, even though Israel was already in charge and, you know, convincingly, that head kick, I think, really, you know, shook Apollo up a little bit. And he was like, uh-oh. Um, and then from there, he kind of just had this very quick exchange and it happened so quick I literally there were like um, five or six of us together watching the fight Saturday and I looked at everybody and I'm like wait how did he drop him so Israel has this very fast combination and he lands this right hook that came out of nowhere essentially and landed right behind the ear um, of Paulo and if you guys don't know that's a very sensitive spot to get hit right there on that temple area by your ear. It just throws off your equilibrium quicker than other shots um, to areas of the head. And he landed it and dropped Paulo. Um, from there, he gets on top four or five punches later, and still the ref calls it off at three minutes and 59 seconds of round number two. And I'm telling you, I was so impressed. Again, Jan's my fighter of the night, but like, Israel looked untouchable. For anyone who thought, oh, this guy's boring or blah, blah, blah after that Yoel fight, think again. Because this is my theory. After last night, I've got this thing called the Izzy effect. So, the Yoel Romero fight versus Adesanya, of course, was incredibly boring, right? And... One, one reason being that Israel is a counter-striker, right? He's an absolutely amazing striker. Probably the best all-around striker in the UFC right now. And But he's a counter-striker, just like Anderson Silva was a counter-striker. And Yoel just did not press forward. He did not do anything. He, he literally stood still multiple points in the fight and just stood. So Israel can only do so much when the fighter is not bringing a fight toward him. Now Izzy can, you know, hit the leg kicks and stuff just like he did last night, but he's not going to come in and do anything stupid because he knows that he's a counter-striker at the end of the day and he knows how to time his shots. So he's not going to charge in and do anything stupid to risk getting caught. And after seeing it last night, we now have two fighters in a row that have went up against Adesanya. Yoel Romero is known for being insanely tough and just one of the scariest all-around dudes that we've ever seen in the UFC. And he looked the furthest thing from scary in the fight against Adesanya. 
And then lat or on Saturday night, I should say, Paulo Costa is literally like a bull in a china shop every time he fights. He brings the action every single time and comes to take your head off. The perfect example of that is the fight against Joel Romero that Paulo had. But then last night, <clears throat> he gets in the octagon against Adesanya and just could not pull the trigger. And I just think it's something where these guys can, you know, talk this up no matter what type of fighter they are, right? Both of these last two are incredibly dangerous strikers um, and very explosive in Yoel and Paulo. And both, you would anticipate bringing a fight no matter what. But then they get in there, locked in a cage with this guy, and they cannot pull the trigger for whatever reason. And it really is this thing where I'm calling it the Izzy, the Izzy effect. I don't know if it's just he is so good at controlling the fight, the distance, the reach, and he does what he wants to do. And for whatever reason, these guys are just unable to get in the pocket or they don't feel there's an opening or they get into the pocket and then they're like, okay, I don't want to get caught, and then they back away again. That's what Paulo did a few different times last night and even Dana White touched on that. So... I think Israel is that good, first off. <clears throat> he looked, again, he looked untouchable. He looked flawless. It was truly a master class performance. And when the fight ended, I was looking at my friends and I'm like, you know, I had this uh, prediction where we did our champions one year from now. And I said Whitaker uh, was going to get the belt back somehow. I don't remember how I laid it out. But now, after last night... I don't know if anybody's going to be beating Israel Adesanya anytime soon. Um, he just looked absolutely incredible. I can't say enough about his performance. Paulo, I can't say he even looked bad, simply because he didn't really provide us with anything. Well, I mean that sucks because I'm, you know, I'm a, a fan of Paulo. I'm no, no hater or anything. I had Israel winning, and it essentially went the way I predicted in terms of the way Israel fought. Um, I did not anticipate Paulo not bringing pressure and throwing the power punches, but I did think that Israel was going to control the fight, um, pick Paulo apart piece by piece, and ultimately lead to the third round finish. Of course, it was actually a second round finish, but still, essentially, he fought how I figured he would. Now, in terms of who's next for both of these guys, again, this is kind of just like the light heavyweight division. It's really easy. For Israel, <clears throat> I think whoever's or the next fight for him is the winner of Robert Whitaker and Jared Cannonier. Um, that's a clear-cut number one contender fight. Robert Whitaker's number one. He just beat Darren Till after losing the belt to Adesanya, and now he's going to take on uh, Cannonier. Cannonier, of course, is ranked number three, and he's been on a tear ever since he dropped down to the middleweight division. Currently on a three-fight win streak with a KOTKO over David Branch. Then he beat Anderson Silva. Uh, it was technically via TKO, but Anderson had that really weird leg injury, which he tends to do in fights, apparently. <laughs> and then Cannonier most recently dominated Jack Hermanson in September of last year. But he's been sidelined for a year because he had a torn pectoral muscle, if I believe. Um, so he's been healing that up over this past year, but he's finally ready to fight. Um, they officially announced the main card, like I mentioned, of UFC 254 on Saturday. And Robert Whitaker versus Jared Cannonier is the co-main event, rightfully so. That's an incredible fight. 
a very good fight that I could see going for either guy. Uh, Cannoneer is going to be the guy that brings the pressure. You know, the Killer Gorilla is his nickname for a reason. Very powerful, very strong, former light heavyweight contender. Or not contender, but um, fought at light heavyweight against some very tough guys. And for Whitaker, he's essentially a, a very similar fighter to Adesanya in the sense that he's such a very good striker, a very good counter striker. So this should be a very good matchup on paper. Of course, as Noah would say, fights are made in the octagon, not on paper, and I couldn't agree more with that. So we will see that fight on October 24th. For Paulo, I see two options. Um, number one is Jack Hermanson. Uh, Jack Hermanson is ranked number four in the division right now, um, and he just came off of a very good win against Kelvin Gastelum where he submitted him with an ankle lock in like 46 seconds. It was pretty crazy. Um, but before that, like I said, he lost to Jared Cannonier. Uh, but before the loss to Jared, he had just beaten Jacare Souza and a few other very good guys at that middleweight division. So for Paulo, um, I, I say he's ranked two. I doubt he moves up or down just because he lost to the champion. And then Jack, who's ranked number four, uh, this is a fight that makes all the sense in the world for him. Um, considering... What's at stake? Jack could essentially come in, beat Paulo, and be next in line for the title. And then if Paulo can beat Jack, um, then you can make the argument, okay, maybe, you know, Izzy gets one more fight in, Paulo gets a convincing win against Jack, okay, it's time for a rematch. And then everybody loves a good rematch, right? Um, the other option I see for Paulo would be the loser of Whitaker Cannoneer, um, simply because, again, it's number one versus number three. Paulo is right in the middle of them at number two. And the winner, of course, is going to fight Izzy. So those are definitely the two options for Paulo. <clears throat> um, the only other guy in this division that could kind of throw off my prediction for what fight should be next would be number six ranked Darren Till. Um, of course, Darren moved down, or moved up, I should say, to middleweight. Um, he made his debut against, uh, I believe it was Kelvin Gastelum, right? Yeah, made his debut at the division against Kelvin Gastelum. Uh, won that via split decision, and then he had that amazing technical striking battle with Robert Whitaker uh, just two months ago in July, and Whitaker got that win. So Darren is ranked sixth right now, and he's been calling for a fight with number four ranked Jack Ter Jack Hermanson. So that could be kind of the only thing that throws a wrench in my fight predictions for Paulo. But again, that's why I kind of have those two options available, just in case Jack does take the fight against Darren Till instead. So that's kind of what I see next for both of those guys. And that's the breakdown of UFC 253. Um, this was probably a shorter episode than normal, probably just because, you know, I'm obviously doing this solo, so I don't have Noah to feed off of and go into conversations about what we think and giving our opinions to each other and all that. But we did watch the fights together on Saturday, so we heard plenty from each other on Saturday night. And uh, shout-out to our good friends uh, who are listeners of the podcast that uh, hung out with us, watched the fights. It was a great night. Um, always good to see, you know, a couple people just with everything going on this year. You know, can't really go out and do a ton or be with big groups. So when you can get around with, you know, a couple close friends, four or five, it's always fun. And uh, there's nothing better than sitting down for, you know, four or five hours and just watching fights and hanging out with your friends. So it was a great night Saturday. Uh, overall, it was a pretty pretty good card from prelims up to the main event. Um, if I'm judging the main card as a whole on a scale of 1 to 10, I'm going to have to give it a 7. 
Um, more so just because Paulo was kind of the biggest takeaway just because he didn't fight uh, the way you expected, which is okay. Again, it's that Israel Adesanya effect. I, I think it's a real thing. Um, Jan Belhovich, of course, really shocked me. Um, that was such a, an amazing performance by him. The flyweight fight between Kai and Brandon was amazing. Ketlin and Sijara put on a great fight. And then, of course, Hakeem and Zabira. So it was a great uh, great main card, a great pay-per-view, a great welcome back to Fight Island. And as you all know, we now have um, October 3rd, we've got Holly Holm and Irene Aldana. October 10th, uh, we've got Marlon Marais and Corey Sanhagen. October 17th, uh, we've got Ortega versus Korean Zombie, a fight I cannot wait to see. That has been over a year in the making. And then finishing it out on Fight Island, October 24th, we've got UFC 254, Habib Nurmagomedov taking on Justin Gaethje. So Fight Island is really bringing it over this next month. Uh, myself and Noah are going to keep bringing the action to you guys, bringing the breakdowns, bringing the results and recaps, our special episodes. Um, so can't wait to have Noah back in the studio here in the next couple of days. Um, as for what the rest of the week looks like, Wednesday we've got a special episode, and we are going to be ranking every current UFC champion right now. Um, we wanted to wait to do this because we had this idea a while ago. But we knew that this uh, pay-per-view was coming up, obviously, and there were two huge title fights. So now that we have champions of both of those divisions, every division in the UFC now has a champion. And so we can do this episode on Wednesday with, you know, four weeks to spare until there's another title fight. So it'll be a perfect time to kind of do that. We'll rank every one of them. I think there's, uh, let's see, there's 12 divisions, but there's a double champ. So right now there's 11 champions in the UFC. We will rank them from 1 to 11. I'm not sure if we're going to do a cumulative list or if I'm going to make a list and know them. We're going to compare and contrast. I would assume we're going to go with the latter there. So that should be a really fun episode. And then Friday, we're going to be previewing the October 3rd uh, fight night. I don't know what the hashtag is right now. They're probably still thinking about it because it's on Fight Island. But the main event is Holly Holm and Irene Aldana, a very important, very good matchup for the women's bantamweight division. So on Friday, you can expect us to break that down for you guys. And to take us away, I'm just going to say you can find me on Instagram and Twitter at dcelie14. You can follow our podcast on Instagram at belowaveragejoes underscore podcast. And you can find our podcast on all major listening platforms as well as smaller platforms that you can find on our Anchor website. Um, you can become a donor or a donator, a gifter, a contributor, a supporter, whatever you want to call it. Uh, you can do that on our Anchor website. You can leave us voice messages to give us hot takes on some fights or ideas for special episodes, and we can uh, put those in future podcast episodes. We really want to hit the hammer, uh, or hit it home, hit the hammer, hit the nail on the head. Nah, you guys know what I'm saying. Um, but hit home with that and kind of build our community with you guys. Uh, your guys' support has been so great throughout this first month, month and a half now, I guess, almost. So thank you again. Um, I know Noah's not here, but you can find him on Instagram and Twitter at NTBaker underscore. And with that, I'm out, <laughs> and we'll see you guys all on Wednesday.